Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 49, Am I Good Enough? Question mark. This question I get all the time, and it's not asked in that direct way, but sometimes we try to use external measurements to value our worthiness and our good enoughness. And so what is good enoughness? I asked Mr. Google or Mrs. Google. And good enough, you know, there's actually a phobia there's actually a fear of not being good enough. And like, I think it's a legit thing. It's called a telephobia. A telephobia is defined as the fear of not doing something right or fear of not being good enough. In other words, it's a fear of imperfection. What? I had no idea there was a phobia out there, but this is a real thing. I suffer from it. A lot of my clients do, all the parents that I work with. And it's a real thing because the way society makes us look external for our validation, for our worthiness. And so when we are a little itty bitty baby and we come into this world, no baby, no toddler really is ever looking external for their validation and worthiness. They already know it. They're already connected to source before they come through the mother's womb. They're connected to God, to the universe, to your creator, whatever you believe that connection is already there and God does not make any mistakes. When you see a baby, when you see a toddler, you don't see them looking external to see if they're good enough. But what happens over time is that they are taught to look outside of themselves for something that they already have. Isn't that crazy making? And then the first place they go is they look to their parents. And the parents reflect back to them if they are or if they are not. And a lot of times the parents mess this up because they didn't have it to give away in the first place because it was stolen from them when they were a child. So they're going to steal it from you when you were a child. But you think that is factual because you're a little kid and everything that your parents say or do is like God is speaking into you about who you are, what you are, your value, your worthiness, and you think it's factual. Just like we covered in the episode called Your Parents Lied to You, they didn't do it on purpose. It was all they knew. And so when you can come from your childhood knowing that your parents did the very best job that they could do, then there isn't this resentment. There isn't this anger. It should have been this way. It should have been more like the Brady Bunch. It should have been like Leave it to Beaver. It should have been like my neighbors. It should have been like that girl on Facebook. Because when you see Father's Day and Mother's Day, and when people have their birthdays for their parents, you see that love and devotion. And a lot of people get very resentful because they didn't have it. 
and they experience some type of trauma or pain from their childhood. Most people have some type of childhood pain or trauma, and that is part of the human experience. I love the holistic psychologist. She is amazing. And she said, childhood trauma is also a parent denying your reality, not being seen or heard, having a parent who vicariously lives through their child, being told directly or indirectly you can't or shouldn't experience certain emotions, having a parent who overcompensates for what they felt was missing in their childhood, having a parent who focused on appearance, having a parent who cannot regulate emotions. The reason why they passed on that trauma from generation to generation is because that is the trauma that they were given. Do you see how when you can see it from an adult point of view and a more mature point of view, you can see those messages clearer and without anger and resentment. You can see them as the as is. Now you can go to that little girl and that little boy inside of you and let them know that what happened then was not factual. That was just two people. It was a sperm and an egg that came together and created you. And then you had earthly parents that sent messaging into your brain and made you think certain things. I want you to question all of it. We talked about this a lot in the Your Parents Lied to You episode. It was super powerful and super impactful for many, many listeners. And I love that. What I want to encourage you to do is not to keep going back to the well, not keep going back to those messages as fact. I want you to question them all and release them. And you have to skip. You have to go back to who you were connected to before you were even born. You are a soul having a human experience. You were worthy and valued when you came out of the womb. Just because two people had opinions of you It doesn't make it factual. Even if it was a positive opinion, it doesn't make it factual because it's already a fact that you're worthy and you're valuable. So the way that they thought about themselves is what they projected onto you and you took it as fact. And now when you're a grown up, you can see it with big people eyes and you can see that trauma and pain and know that it was just them passing on the trauma and pain that was given to them. And you can kind of see life from their point of view, all that they were doing and all that they were dealing with. And then you can have grace and compassion for them and not anger and resentment. Because when you have anger and resentment, that usually spills over into the parenting for today. When your kids push your buttons, you're yelling and screaming and then blaming it on the child. We have a child that does something and we are in charge of our reaction. So we cannot say, I only did that because you did that. That is blaming a five-year-old for our behavior. It sounds crazy when you say it out loud, but this is the way the brain works. The brain wants to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and be efficient. So even though there was trauma and pain from the past that didn't feel good, we still pass it along if we're not conscious about it. So here's how sometimes it plays out. I'll work with clients and they'll be very frustrated with their parents and their involvement or lack of involvement or over-involvement in the child's life, in their child's life. So there's lots of arguing with either the mother-in-law or the father or the grandpa or the grandma. And they'll say things like, well, they were supposed to show up at the dance and they told my kids they would be there and they didn't show up. 
And so I simply ask the question, is this an event or is this a pattern? Think about when you were growing up. Did they go to your baseball games? Did they go to your soccer games? Were they consistently showing up in your life? When you had the t-ball, when you had the golf tournament, when you had the dance, whatever it is, were they there for you? You kind of get a sense of who someone is based on a pattern of behavior. The answer is usually no. Or they'll say, well, we had a Thanksgiving get together and my kids were there and my dad was drinking a lot. And I said, is this an event or is this a pattern? Is this something that he usually does at family events? And then they'll usually tell me, well, yeah, I grew up and he was an alcoholic or my mom was an alcoholic. So we have to know that in these situations, the little girl inside of us or the little boy inside of us is activated. And the little girl and the little boy that wanted dad to stop drinking or wanted mom at the games or wanted mom at the recitals or at the band concerts, that little girl, that little boy still lives and breathes inside of all of us. The ego is the bodyguard for the little girl or little boy that live inside of us. So we feel very activated when they don't show up or when they drink or when they do what they did all along growing up as a pattern, we know to expect it. But the little girl in us or the little boy in us says, I know they did this to me. They weren't there for me. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. They weren't at my events. They drank too much. I know they did that to me. But clearly, as a grandparent, they are not going to do that to this precious three-year-old or this precious five-year-old or 15-year-old. There's no way they can do that to my child. And then, as patterns happen, they do it to the grandchild. And then the client, the parent, is so shocked and so surprised and re-injures themselves all over again. Why would someone do this. This is very clear. When you know this, it's so much freedom why you're doing this. If you're doing this, or if you've ever done this, or if you find yourself doing this in your mind, playing these scenarios out and being angry all over again, like you're a little girl and little boy all over again. The reason why is because the little girl, the little boy that lives inside of all of us who wanted it so desperately for that parent to be there consistently for the games, for the recitals, for the concerts, or to stop drinking, that they want it so desperately that they use their child as a pawn because they say to themselves, well, I couldn't get my mom and dad to come to my games, but I sure can get them come to my my kids' games. So the brain is trying to heal that old wound in current time using our child as a pawn to get the relationship that they never had with mom or dad, but they so desperately wanted. Because every child wants to be the apple of daddy's eyes. Every child wants to have the sun rise and set based on them. And if that's not the case, then they somehow think that there's something wrong with them, that they are broken, that they're not good enough. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. So they end up re-injuring themselves all over again. And this is crazy making. And sometimes they're a better grandparent than they were a parent. Then the client gets super resentful 
of how come my child can have that, but I couldn't have that. Once you can detach and untangle that, you're not so enmeshed and needy and codependent needing mom and dad to act a certain way, either then or now or as a grandparent. And so I love the question by Tony Robbins. He asks, whose love did you crave the most? Usually, but not always, the little girl craves daddy's love. And then the little boy craves mommy's love. If it's there and they feel seen and they feel heard, that's fabulous. Then they go and seek that out in their other relationships. If it wasn't the case, then they think that something's wrong with them. They don't think that something's wrong with the parent. They don't think as a child they can't see that the parent is just projecting their own lack onto the child. They see it as factual. And I love the quote by Sylvie Kakujan. She says, It has been said that we can get an accurate picture of what we didn't get in our childhoods by looking at our chronic complaints about our relationships. So, like I always say, the unconscious brain doesn't know what to do with that pain and trauma, so it stores it, and then it unpacks it in our adult, most vulnerable relationships and tries to heal that old wound in current time through our current relationships by trying to make the grandparents into someone that they're not because they're so desperate to feel worthy, to feel valued, to be seen, to be heard, to be good enough. And so when the child doesn't get it from external service, the external places like mom and dad, then they go to the next round, the teachers, the grades, the sports, their friendship circle. Do you see how it's almost always grasping at straws? It's always grasping at straws because it's like filling up a bucket that has holes in it because that adult took messaging from that they received as a child as factual and then never questioned it. So then they looked external for their good enoughness. And I am begging parents. Most of my day is reminding parents, telling parents, telling humans that they're not only good enough, they're more than good enough. They have the perfect child that is here to teach them where to grow, to remind them about that little girl or that little boy inside of them and giving them the childhood that they wish they had. So if you didn't have the childhood of your dreams, you get a second chance at it, but you can only do that if you see your childhood with grown-up eyes and question all of it. And I love the quote, whatever you think you're protecting your child from is only an old wound you haven't faced yet. So if you're super protective and super helicopter in one area, just look within. Why is this bringing up so much emotion for me? What's this all about? Otherwise, what happens is you continue the patterns and you continue the pain, so to speak, and you just pass it along the chain because you're always looking external for your good enoughness when it's already living with inside of you. And so we have a parent who's parenting from this paradigm of, am I good enough? Looking at their beautiful child. And then the child is looking up. If you had speech bubbles above both their heads, the mom is looking down at their children or child and saying, am I good enough for this child? Because the love is so overwhelming. I remember when Lily and Grady were born, looking at the hospital going, oh, 
geez, this is like a kind of love that like hurts. This is like an ache. My sister said it's like someone takes your heart and they put arms and legs on it and then they're just walking outside your body. I'm like, this is vulnerable. It's the most overwhelming responsibility and sense of purpose and this sense of love that has never quite been experienced. And so with all that vulnerability comes a lot of fear. Am I going to be good enough at this? I don't know. Let's go and ask the child, am I good enough? Well, the child's looking up at the parents going, am I good enough? And so we have two people in a relationship and they're both asking each other a question that has already been answered with a resounding yes. And so the child is looking for the parent to fill them up and remind them that they're good enough. And then the parent is looking at the child to remind them if they're good enough. And that is a lose-lose because both people are going into the relationship as a beggar, as looking for something that already lives inside of both of them. Remember, we're going before the womb. We're going back to your energy. We're going back to God. We're going back to your creator, the universe. Whatever you believe, you're going back to that part. Your good enoughness was given to you on the day you were born. You have a one in 400 trillion chance of being on this planet. The fact that you're breathing air and you try every day to do your best, that, my friend, you are already winning. So when you can come into that relationship with your child and remind them like, oh yes, you're more than good enough. And you know how I know? Because I know that I'm good enough. Now people say, well, that's being braggy. That's being, I need to be humble and I need to be, there is a big difference between cocky and confidence. I love Randy Rubenstein talks about having that pack leader energy, that assertive energy. Like, I got you, boo. Because the child's looking up with these big eyes going, am I good enough? And if they're being yelled at or screamed at or God forbid spanked or shamed or name called, the answer the child is going to say I guess I'm not good enough. And they don't stop liking the parent. They stop liking themselves and then they act unlikable. Kids pick up on all of our energy. They are like psychics. They are like dogs that can sniff out our energy. So they know if mom and dad love me and they know if dad and mom like me. If they feel confident and secure, then they start liking and loving themselves and then they act more lovable and more likable. Even though their worthiness and their value and their lovability was given to the day that they were born, they start to act more in alignment with how they're feeling on the inside. Behavior is always a language to us. Don't look at the behavior, look at what's underneath the behavior. So if we know that the behavior is always data for us, it's always a language, then we can be the decoder. And so I love the, you know, I'm obsessed with quotes. I mean, seriously, I can't get enough of them. It's like they take all of the thoughts that I'm thinking and then they put it in one sentence and I'm like, yes. And they put on this nice little pretty image with a pretty background. And so I love this one. It said, a child's behavior is like an iceberg. What you see on the top, what really matters is what's going on underneath the iceberg. So underneath, they're always asking the question. Every child is asking this a hundred times a day. Am I safe? Am I loved? Am I capable? Do I belong? Am I respected? Am I secure? 
Am I included? Am I understood? Do my thoughts matter? So because of those answers is how they're going to behave. So when you look at the behavior, you see how they feel underneath. And then you get super curious. If this wasn't your child, what is life like to live in your house from their point of view? Whether they're two feet tall or they're crawling or they're five feet tall, what are they saying? What are they seeing from their point of view? How are they answering those questions about feeling safe and loved and capable and belong? And then ask those same questions to yourself. Did you feel that way when you were growing up? And if not, what did you make it mean about you? It was all because the environment at which you were with, but all of those answers, when you say, am I good enough? They always come back. Yes. So when you can answer the question with resounding, yes, then you can answer it for your children with resounding. Yes with the way that you treat them and the way that you talk to them. And then when something comes up for you that creates a lot of emotion, you don't have to give in to the trigger. You can follow the wiring underneath your side of the street because we're not worried about their side of the street. They have their own free will and you have your own free will. When you take all of your power back and you're in the driver's seat based on how you're acting, and not blaming it on a little kid, then you get your power back. You're the flight attendant on a turbulent plane. Because parents ask me all the time, how do you just stop yelling? How do you do, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you not freak out on them? And I always go back to, well, they don't belong to us. So how could we? Would you do that if it was Lily or Grady? Would you do that if you were the grandparent? Would you do that if you were babysitting? Would you do that if you were a teacher? You'd lose your job. So when you can get that detached ego, then you can attach at the heart level and then you can give your child the childhood that you wanted instead of repeating old pain to try to heal that old wound in current time. Because I always say we have two chances at a parent-child relationship. The first one, we had no say in it. It's just the slide that we slid down from heaven and came out and here we are but we don't have to look outside of ourselves for something that's already living within ourselves. And to like and love yourself from a confident, assertive place, then you can give that gift to your child. And when you give that gift to your child, they are in alignment with who they are meant to be and their throbbing spirit. And they don't feel so out of alignment because they know that the parents that are parenting them are in alignment. So it's very contagious energy. Kids see and feel it all. They know if mom and dad like them. They know if mom and dad like love them and then they act accordingly. So take their behavior as data, as information, and then you cannot use your children as a pawn to feel a certain way because they are not our pawns to fill us up, to make us feel whole, to make us feel good enough because we already are. But if we go to them like a beggar asking them or to our spouse asking them to fill it up, there will be a hole in that bucket. That is why people are frustrated in their relationships because they go to another human or another experience to feel full and whole and worthy and valued. But it's already there. And that's what I beg people to know because then you can come at your relationship with your child And when they ask the question, that speech bubble goes above their head 
Am I good enough? You tell them over and over and over with your words, with your actions, with your tone, with your energy, it's a resounding yes. And then when they feel good, they act accordingly. I love you guys. And please know you are more than good enough and you are meant to do this job as a parent to the child that you have. And I'll talk to you next week for episode number 50. What? Hey, mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.